Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Well, we are truly back up and running now as it's the Monday after the British Grand Prix where finally all of us three Met in person for the first time. It was a brilliant weekend of two-wheeled action. Uh, Questions, though, will be asked over the low fan turnout, which uh, will begin this morning. We'll dissect as well all the racing action, too, including Moto2 with a plucky young Brit by the name of Jake Dixon on the podium, giving us something to cheer about. The recording day is Monday, the 8th of August. My name is Harry Benjamin. Joining me as ever is Crash's MotoGP editor, Pete McLaren, and former Grand Prix rider and British champion Keith Hewitt. Well, one thing we did confirm over the weekend was that I am indeed the tallest out of all three of us, so I don't think that was too shy. Me. There's a great photo that we put out on socials of us standing by the MotoGP sign. And I don't think we planned it. We wanted Keith in the middle, but it is in high order. So that worked quite well in the end. <laughs> <laughs> but Keith, Pete. Is it an, in, is it an intelligence or, or, or me, or, or, <laughs> In that case, we're going, we're going down towards the peak. Not sure. The jury's out on that one. Uh, Right. Okay. Well, it was uh, it was a great weekend. It was great to see. uh, Obviously, just MotoGP back in action after the long summer break as well. But Keith, what did you make of it from your perspective? You were roaming up and down the paddock as well. But from the fan side, it it just seemed like a bit of a low turnout. you know Thursdays and Fridays are always going to be well, a little bit quieter. But even on Sunday, what was it, about 40,000 in the end, which is really low from the usual 80. The official, the official figure the official figure was 41,000. Um, and considering the entertainment package that Silverstone had paid for and put on, which was pretty spectacular. I mean, even Sunday night when everybody was going, you've got the Stereophonics, you've got Ella Ooh, Air, yes. who, you know, Hello, air, rudimental, whatever you want to think about. I mean, I, you know, she rates quite highly. She's she's very popular. There are a lot of people that I knew out of our lot that were staying just to see her. Okay, they weren't long concerts, but you know, you haven't got time when you've been in the sun all bloody day long drinking beer. It's quite a quite a long day at a trackside if you got there early. But driving in, I only went in at eight o'clock in the morning, which is really unusual because normally I'd have to be an hour earlier to get into the gate. I know Silverstone have got great facilities when it comes to road infrastructure to get straight in the front door it's really well organized um but to drive straight in seemed odd to start with at a grand prix uh, and to drive straight out again was really odd um okay we leave a little bit later because we still got those sort of journalistic stuff to get on with um 41,000 is half of what it should have been considering the package that was being put forward we had three fantastic races 
okay, we're not to know that. But moreover, we had the best weather consistently through the week that I've ever seen for a British Grand Prix. Everybody knew it was going to be beautiful weather. Now, there are some things that you could argue, 90 pounds for a ticket on Sunday, 30 odd quid to park your car in a car park on top of that. It is expensive. But you're talking about the best event in the world in Britain for MotoGP. It was free on telly. First time ITV uh, got it as free to air. Obviously, BT were, were airing it as well. So their figures will have been down. Maybe trackside figures are down again because of ITV. But most people that follow bikes, and there are more than 41,000 of them, you know, know that being trackside is the best atmosphere. To see a motorcycle on a track, you can't replicate that on TV. You cannot get that atmosphere. You can have as many you know, bounding presenters and well-known people that walk through the camera shot as you like. But you're never going to better. You know, short walk from the end of the paddock was Cops Corner. Just standing on the inside of there and watching every class. You didn't have to just pick on MotoGP. Go Moto3, Moto2 if you fancied it. It was just fantastic. I mean, I'm sitting there and the air's on. My arm's going up on end thinking about it. You know, the way those things are hanked over, the way they accelerate. And even with Silverstone being a bit further away from the action. And that's a shame for, for dyed-in-the-wall motorcycle people because of the speed of most of the corners, you need more runoff, which which kind of creates a problem. If you want to be touching distance from things, go to Scarborough. You know, you can reach over the fence and pat them on the back of their head. You know, it, 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 but it's an extremely dangerous racetrack and you're never going to see these kind of motorcycles with these kind of guys on at a place like Scarborough. But there are, it's horses for courses. But I, I think Silverstone did a fantastic job. I really do. And they really seem to care. In the past, I would always be someone that would be screaming for the rooftops. So they don't care. It's all about four wheels. It's all about Formula One. Nobody in the BRDC gives a flying what's it about motorbikes. And it was genuinely that way. But it isn't anymore. The BRDC suite is full of famous uh, you know, car race names and bike people from the past. And they really care about what's going on. You know, when they're asking the likes of us, what would we suggest as, as a good idea for the following year and the year on and moving it forward? You know they're trying to work towards, you know, getting this thing right. Very disappointing. Very disappointing. Especially off the back of a fantastic Formula One Grand Prix they had there. They probably had the best Formula One Grand Prix there that they had attendance-wise in years and years and years and years. And, you know, really off the back of the pandemic, this is the first time that it's really been a fully open, do-what-you-like MotoGP in Britain. I, don't, I, I, I can't imagine why people didn't it go. I've got a few, by the way, when, when Pete's had his bloody five minutes of, of, of his impressions of it, um, I've got a lot of ideas how we can make well, it better. All right. Well, well hold your horses on that one because Pete's five minutes is coming up. But it was interesting, actually, because <laughs> I, I was hosting the fan zone. So I, I was in and amongst it on, on the main stage, which was just sort of uh, by uh, by Luffield and Brooklyn. So a great place to watch as well. But a lot of the people and the fans, uh, a lot of them were diehard MotoGP fans or, or even, you know, actual riders. There were Moto America riders just wandering around, interested in being there. Came across a couple of BSB too, just sort of it, as fans there, just hope, just wanting to catch the action. But what was interesting, there's a lot of people who uh, it was their first time at a MotoGP event. They were either Formula One fans and didn't get tickets and wanted to come to Silverstone anyway to see some live action and got it there. But... Pete, I mean, as decent as that was, the fans that were there were clearly engaged, were clearly having a good time. Can we pinpoint an exact reason? Is it the fact there's no Rossi, no Marquez, cost of living's gone up, 
too close to Formula One Grand Prix or all of the above or something else? As you say, it could be all of those things. Another one is, did people go to Donington for the World Superbike instead? You know, there's a lot of British riders at the front of World Superbike. Did they make a call on it's that one that we'll go to? I mean, that, as you say, we've seen we, we've had this discussion with other rounds, haven't we? You know, we've seen low attendance, Mugello, obviously. We, we bring up the prices again. I, I also heard, that, as Keith says, that, that the parking prices might have been an issue this weekend. Um, but it still came as a shock when that official figure came out on the Sunday. We're a bit insulated in the paddock. We can't really see Silverstone's a massive place. You can't really know how many people are there until you see that, that official attendance. If you're somewhere like Mazzano, you look out the media room window, you can pretty much get an idea straight away, you, you know, how many people are going to be there, how packed it is, shall we say. So it, it was a shock, I think. It, um, Saturday, I think, was 30,000, wasn't it? To only go up by 10,000 people from Saturday to Sunday, very unusual. When, as Keith says, there, there was no obvious thing wrong with the organisation side. Everything, the traffic was going smoothly from, from what I saw. I was parked on the outside of the track at, at P2. I was coming in to the voice of Keith Hewan every day at the gate. I'm sure I'm sure many of our <laughs> listeners would have, would, have, would have had the same experience of me of, I know that voice as they're as they're heading to the gate and they're being warned about ticket tags and prepared to have your bag searched and so yeah I think know, I think we've just found the reason for the low attendance right there. <laughs> <laughs> they all turned around and went back out again. <laughs> the things you do for passes being made. Well, and Harry, we also saw the resourcefulness of Keith Hewan when you know when a when a when a when a circuit bar is closed and uh, we need to find uh, a couple of drinks. There's nothing that will prevent Keith Hewan from coming back uh, bearing uh, bearing some alcohol. So yeah, but uh, no, overall, I mean, there was nothing to obviously pinpoint as to why the attendance was that, other than the cost thing, maybe, and, and things like that. But yeah, it was a shock for me to see that figure on the Sunday. Right, go on then, Keith. How do we solve this problem? What's the plan? Well, I think. I think the problem is, you know, you can't solve it just overnight. I think one of the things is, if I'd have been Silverstone, I think one of the things that they missed, and I don't recall or I don't remember seeing anything like this, I would have been doing a survey, an exit survey to start with. I'd have employed proper uh, survey people that surveyed people on site and through the site. You know, when did they first hear about the entertainment that was going to be provided? When did they first realise that the event had much more to it? Does that kind of entertainment uh, bring in more people? Would would they have brought more family members if they thought that entertainment was on and they didn't know about it? I think there are a lot of questions that you need to get to the bottom of. You know, all that entertainment, all that extra stuff that was going on there, apart from things like Monster, obviously, that do a massively brilliant thing, but that's all funded by Monster. Um, and it was the Monster Energy British Grand Prix at the end of the day. So Monster put a huge amount of infrastructure into it as well, make it look really good the power of um, uh, sugary drinks. But I'd want to know whether, you know, pricing LRR into it, pricing stereophonics into it, and there are one or two others as well, whether that was actually good value for money, whether whether you'd prefer a fiver offer ticket or, or, or whatever it might be. Um, were there things that you would like to see? Were there things you would prefer not to see? Um, then it comes down to the parking. I don't think you can get over that issue. I think what's happened with parking, the cost of parking is, is that, Silverstone in their years, and they, they quite admit to the fact that they had to have a bit of a sell-off over the years to 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 keep Silverstone afloat. Bearing in mind, this is a this is a 500 acres of motorsports venue that has no government subsidy or local authority subsidy at all, compared with many of the tracks around the world that that get some input from some other places. Uh, so Silverstone is a standalone operation, and they have made mistakes in the past that have cost them dear. 
Um, and they are only really recovering from that over the last, you know, this year. If it hadn't been a good Formula One, they'd be in trouble again, I would suggest, by the end of this year. Um, Formula One is propping us up. <laughs> and I hate to say that, but that's a fact at the moment. Um, and bearing in mind that we had, you know, the best stuff there was. Harry, you would have seen it from the top of the main stage that, that the, the demographic down in, in front of you will have been old, bald bikers. You know, it would have been, in the main, that would have been your kind of demographic that was in front of you. Yeah, there would have been children. Yeah, there would have been women. Of course, there would have been. Um, that are all part of, of our MotoGP setup. But we're missing a fairly major part of the demographic. It needs to be cool again. We need to be that cool sport that everybody wants to be seen to, to go to, to be part of. A bit like Formula One has become since they've opened up to social media and so on and so forth, since Liberty took it over. Now, I don't understand why... Yeah, for instance, we 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 all rail against the idea of having those influencers on pit lane. Martin Brundle is one of my favourites. When he bumps into someone, he has no clue who the hell it is. That he's got to speak to some bloke out of America that's that's there as an influencer, and he's a bit dismissive, as I would be if I'd been in his position as well. Again, as an old bloke like Martin Brundle, when you come across someone you've never heard of, never seen, got no interest in, and never likely to bump into ever again in your life, um, but that bloke that you don't recognise has probably got 2 million followers and he's probably considered to be absolutely cool. Now, I met the gas monkey guy, Richard Rollins, in the TT when I was over there. I hadn't even heard of gas monkey. I had no clue who Richard Rollins was. This rather loud American guy slapping hands with everyone all around the TT paddock. But he had a bigger following out there than Peter Hickman. Now, we're missing a trick when we've not got people like that that are trackside. You know, these people need teeing up well in advance. They need to be doing stuff on the track prior to. We have got so many famous faces that are into bikes, but they're a little older as well. What we need to be doing is catering just a little bit more to bring those 14, 15, 16-year-old kids and forcing their parents to come to a racetrack. Maybe not to watch the racing initially. It's more to see El Herrera or whoever it might be that's performing on stage. But then all of a sudden, the side product becomes the main product, which is motorbike racing, which is cool which is brilliant. And we have got some great young men racing in those classes that all the kids are going to think, wow, look at Cotterara, look at Jake Dixon, you know, up on stage, what personalities they are. You know, you've got Lando Norris, George Russell is funny occasionally, although I always think of Scott Ogden and George Russell as, as peas <laughs> yeah. in a pod. They seem very, mm. very studious, the pair of them, when you speak to them. And then they break out and they're really, really funny guys. And, you know, and they do the job really, really well. And so there's a there's a real synergy between those two, in my view. I mean, it might be just that I'm a bit what, what? strange, but anyway. But there, there are so many things that I think we can do, and we need to do it in advance. It always seems like it seems like the biggest event went under the radar this year, and I don't understand that. And I know how hard Silverstone work, and I know how hard all of the guys at Silverstone work to make it work really, really well. We're going to the wing next year. We're going back to the wing next year as the paddock. We moved from the uh, national pits and, and the, 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 the straight that we've all been used to, which has got massive areas that we can get Moto3, Moto2 and MotoGP. And we go to the, the wing complex next year. So we're, we're back in, we're, we go back to where the Formula One guys are. The main reason we haven't been there for so long is because there's no room out the back to park everything. You couldn't get across the track to the car parks on the opposite side of the road because no one had built a bridge. Now there's a new hotel that's going to be there as well. So you you yeah, your FIM. I bet the FIM <laughs> yeah. will do it all for themselves. <laughs> so don't expect to get a room in that hotel because it'll be full of officials from uh, from MotoGP, I'm sure. But um, but it, it you know, 
things are moving again into a, a, a much more you know dynamic and viable and uh, i hope viable and and exciting phase with with silverstone but i don't know they need to do something more it really falls at the the feet of dawner they've done a fantastic job of getting the rules right they've they've made our sport the best it can be it really is something a little bit special and it continues to develop in that way but maybe the the emphasis has been so much on the sport that it's not been on the wider situation that we need they mucked up with the the, their version of the drive to survive um, Netflix well, I, I thing. That, keep, that can they salvage that? Place. Can they go about Ray and, and make it again with a different company? Because you know we talk about the drive to survive effect so much in Formula One and how useful that has been. Uh, that could be a real key to unlocking something in MotoGP. Well, it's a massively yeah, it's a massively large key because straight away it's out on a, on on a platform that, that the kids and, and the demographics I'm talking about that we want at trackside watch. And that how it's delivered to them into their, you know, it's all on handheld, it's all on iPad, it's all it's very rarely on a telly nowadays. People that watch like telly is like for me, and that's only because of my eyesight. So it's kind of one of those situations where, you know, we need it out there on these platforms. We need people to be all part of it. Um, and I think the Dawner really, instead of getting someone to pay them to for access to make this this product, they need to pay someone that's capable of doing it properly. There was a fellow called James Woodruff who was walking around at the weekend. James Woodruff, you, no one will have heard of James Woodruff, but look him up in the credits occasionally when you see the Guy Martin programs or you see, you know, he's, he's one of these guys. He works for North One. North One, North One are the producers of the MotoGP program for BT Sport. BT Sport are the broadcaster. They have hardly anything to do with the production apart from, you know, sticking their oar in every now and again. And But, but, but North One are the people that actually do produce the program and they produce it very well on a budget that's quite tight so you know it, it's not easy for them to produce what they produce but north one have another arm which is like features which james woodruff who, who i've i remember when i first met him i remember thinking who's this geezer um and then when you when you spot somebody that's got real talent and is moving something on and making it look really cool he he makes a feature okay he shoots the hell out of everything so he, he must have more clippings on the floor than he's got actually we're ever going to see but that's what it takes it takes somebody that can see the product better than we can all see it we're all too close to it half the time so when you bring someone in like that who's a proper producer who knows how to edit stuff into something that's exciting i mean guy martin honestly guy martin when you meet guy martin when you hear guy martin unedited your head wants to explode. It's like, it's impossible to understand what he's on about half the time. And this guy, James Woodruff, edited him into the, the programs that we know and love on, on, I think it's Channel 4 most of the time, or it was, um, and made Guy Martin basically a multi-millionaire, <laughs> which is the side product of doing something properly. You get money. Not bad, eh? Not bad at all. Well, clearly... I'm not going there. No, someone <laughs> needs to do it. Our editor, Adrian, tries every week to edit Keith in, and uh, where are the millions? <laughs> Pouring in somewhere. Um, <laughs> he, the best job he does is edit me out. <laughs> yeah, you think Keith talks a lot. This podcast is usually about three hours. Um, <laughs> <laughs> clearly then, um, a lot for Silverstone, a lot for MotoGP and Dorna to, to look back on this weekend at and hopefully come back bigger and better next year because I mean it was my first time there and it was I had a great time everyone was so friendly it was fun there was so much track action because you didn't just have you know the, the MotoGP 2 and 3 had the British Talent Cup there was always something going on whether that was on track or on the stage in the fan zone singers there was a lot going on but 
there's just something that's there's a hurdle there that is not being run over at the moment and that needs to it's it's, it's the build-up mm. it's the build-up and i think the other thing as well i mean you you actually touched on it quite well you did some stage work on over the weekend i did some stage work for day of champions mm. which is the the two wheels for life charity that is associated of course with motor gp carmelo espeleta's wife is on the board of uh, two wheels for life um so there is a fair bit of integration going on there as well but um i think the point i was going to make was that that the you met some of the youngsters that are through btc um I obviously did as well vision track racing which is michael lavity's team from moto 3 and then back through btc i think it's his guys that are, that are leading lights in the british to, uh, talent cup but the problem is even with that you we meet them we don't know who they are simple things like a badge you know when you're meeting these kids when you're a, a new fan and you're meeting the kids at trackside you know just a quick flick down to see who they are to, to associate their race number with that child with that team you know simple 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 things that we're missing tricks on and I, and we shouldn't be you know there's a lot of smart people in the paddock and i don't understand why they're not across all of this stuff they're not really thinking you know further on how can we how can we assist everybody how can we assist the media who is this kid coming up to me quite often people won't speak to somebody because they don't really know who they are how many times do you go to a conference your own conference and i'm chatting like i am with you right now and i'm looking at you dead in the eye because of course sincerity is all about looking someone straight in the eye you haven't got a clue who the bloody hell you're talking to until you wait till they move their eyes over here to look at somebody walking by and you go like that, yeah. straight down to their badge to see their name. Oh, that's very nice to meet you, Mr. So-and-so. I'm, I'm ever so happy now. And we all do it, but why make it difficult? You know, like I, I think that, you know, recognition, recognition of our youngsters, recognition of people. Yeah, we all know who the superstars are, but you can broaden that right out as well through through the entire paddock and make access easier for the fans. Um. I believe that the, the paddock areas can be made not accessible as in fans behind the working areas, because I, I, I don't agree with that. I mean, yeah, you, you, you get the, the privileged VIPs walking through with their tours and all the rest of it. My oldest daughter was doing quite a lot of that this week, because every time I was wandering to the paddock, I got accosted by her and whoever the 20 people she'd got in tow with her uh, to talk through whatever it was, which is all quite good fun and jolly. But I've always said that paddocks should be designed in a way that you could have big glass areas or fencing or whatever it is so you can see what's going on in the paddock. Like we should be orientating our our areas so that there is maybe not actual physical access, but there is, you know, access in a different kind of a manner that you can see. And I've always thought that, you know, there should be cameras in, in pit boxes all the time, permanently. So you can access a pit box camera on your on your handheld digital kit. You know, if you're designing new new pit boxes, put a bloody camera in all of them so we can have a look in there. It's not going to show anything. Teams are going to get used to, you know, cameras in the corner, but not just for the UK. I'm talking about around the world so we can access those pit boxes or an area of the pit box that's designated OK by the team. I'm not saying we, we should be able to see secrets or, or, or even listen in to what's being said. I don't think there should be audio in there either. Um Simple, simple stuff that with the technology we've got nowadays, which is tuppence, it's, it's like for nothing. More access. You know, 40,000 people at trackside is making a statement. Should have been 80,000 minimum. There's a statement being made somewhere. People stayed away for more than one reason. And we need to work it out. Absolutely. I think uh, you need to have a word with Mr. Dorner. Pete? <laughs> I would just say I think there's a really interesting and, and, and you know potentially useful chance here because of this successful F1 event previously you can do this comparison 
what was the same what was different all these things that Keith's talking about because clearly Silverstone know how to do an event with what was it 400,000 people over the weekend or something so they know how to get that many people in what so what was different this time around really dig deep into what where are the differences obviously the sport itself is going to be top of that of that list what's the differences between the sport why why as Keith said what would help get those fans in that that came for the Formula One. Two different sports, of course, but I think it shows that Silverstone know how to attract a huge number of people to a motorsport event, and yet they didn't come on Sunday. And, and you know, the answers will be there, and I think there is a, there is a good chance to find them because of this comparison. Yeah, problem is we've already missed an opportunity, haven't we? Because we've had the Grand Prix. Um, you know, the opportunity to to actually get to the bottom of it should have been during the course of the weekend. I mean, Stuart Pringle. Managing director at Silverstone is a is a fairly proactive and, and wide thinking fellow. Right? He's had his hands full over the last few few years. There's no doubt about it. He still only looks 14. I don't know how he achieves that. I think I better buy a tub of his cream and bathe in it. But the the point being is that um, they needed to have been across that here. You know, we've, we've you know our 40,000 people have left. You know, what did what what was right? What was wrong? And then all the other people that are looking in, maybe some listening to this podcast, are thinking, well, I've got 10 penalty. I could, I could add something to that. You know, I didn't go because of this, this, and this. The problem is with social media being what it is, you have this natural tendency for, for picking up on negative vibes and trolling. You know, like there'll be low, there'll be some overemphasize. How many times when you, when you, you <laughs> I'll ask you two this question and everyone else that's listening. When you get a shoddy service, and they give you the, the five stars to click on. How many of us click on the middle one, three stars, because that's that's the one that really the service you got was a three-star service, but actually don't. We click on the one star because we have figured that we want to compensate for all those people that have put two higher stars on there. So even though you think it's a three-star <laughs> markup, you, you press the one-star button because you're trying to make a point. Exactly. And that's the problem that is that is the problem with surveys after the event. I think, you know, if it's done properly and you've got the right guys surveying whatever's going on, then then you might get a more accurate thing. But if you stick it out on Twitter for a survey, you're going to get all the complete turkeys that are going to go, yeah, it's a load of rubbish. I can't see anything. The racing's crap. There's nowhere to see from and all the rest of it. It's too many VIP places. Yeah, some of those are valid points, I will say. I mean, I... I Oh, I'm going to chuck it in there anyway. I mean, I stood on Cops. Cops is closest to the paddock for us. We can walk right down the end of the paddock. Paddock exit. There's a big screen that's facing outward, so you can't look at it from, from, from Cops anyway. But the worst thing, and Donington used to be the worst at this as well, down through Redgate Corner. On the inside of the corner is a dirty great sign, eight foot high, and you can't see our riders over it. So you see the riders come out of Cops, then they disappear, then they go down to Beckett's. You know, I understand commercial viability, but hang on a second. Don't take the piss. You know, like putting a sign up that you can't see through. It's just, it's, it's, it's insulting sometimes. I don't know how much they made from, from that sign, but I bet they peed off as many people by putting it there. Um, you know, it's a lovely bank cops. You can watch that inside corner. You can see them hook it up through that. It's a fast old turn. There's no doubt about it. And to watch the things hook up. And if, you, if that board hadn't been there, well, I would, and this is real anarchism, um, you pick up where each and every rider changes gear. You look at the, the, the other side of the fence and you're picking up who's hooking up early, who's shifting up, who's got the gear in slightly different. 
And you're listening to all that stuff. And I know fans do that. It's not just bloody idiots like me from the paddock. It's it's People are noticing those tiny... Motorbike racing people are pretty much in the main knowledgeable people. Fans are knowledgeable. And they want that kind of unfettered access. And when some bloody commercial geezer had sold that bit of fence... <laughs> God, that annoys well, me. You have to wonder. It really does. I remember they used, to do it, they used to do it out of Redgate Corner all the way down to Hollywood at, at Donington Park, and you'd have to step right back on the banking, go right up high so you could see over it. And that, again, at, at Donington, that eye line, when you're stood at the fence, right at the very fence, your eye line is the same as the camber of the track. So the, the, it looks like the camber is straight on. You can see right under the bikes until they put bloody advertising there, and you can't. Then you've got to stand... 50 yards further back to get a clear view of the corner. Do you, does anybody ever think about this? Do these people ever think about it, commercial people? No, well, it's just so annoying. I mean, I bet the commercial department bloody puts their oar in and, and because of the money that's involved, they, they kind of forget about, you know, who's actually going to be stood trackside. They're only worried about telly. Well, either way, uh, certainly we've just spoken a lot of time talking about it. Certainly work to do for Silverstone and MotoGP and Dorna to try and uh, look at what... Uh, has happened across this Silverstone weekend and try and uh, encourage people back. In fact, we can do our own survey in the comments section. Let us know why you went to MotoGP or why you didn't go. It would be nice to see if you were thinking about going and maybe what made you not want to attend or what you would like to see if you were going to go back again. We'll start with that and then we'll we'll send it all to Dorna and see what they say. I'm sure but they'll it, love that. But in the interest as well of, of, of being fair, I mean, try not to get too extreme either way with that. Try to, to be very, very, uh, should we say, level with the with that opinion. Mm. So it's, it's, so it's a true um, opinion of, of, of the way things are. I mean, I know that the car park prices and I know that things like that really, really annoy people. And, and that might be the, the top reason for it, but maybe it's worth considering sometimes of what you have to pay for top level stuff. You know, sometimes you get what you pay for. Wise words from Mr. Hewitt. Right. Well, we've spoken a lot about, uh, Silverstone, but not that much actually yet about the track action. And let's start with the Premier Class, MotoGP. Well, it was Joan Zarco on pole, but everybody, of course, was looking at Fabio Quattararo, Alicia Spargro, and the dynamic there, the championship challenges at the moment at the coming into this weekend, certainly, but fighting for that title. And Fabio Keith in the back of his mind, having to take that long lap penalty, which in reality didn't actually cost him too much was it really all down to his tire choice that really plagued his race in the end track temperature was up hugely on sunday compared with the rest of the week even though it was hot the rest of the week he exited from second place for the 1.3 second penalty it cost him on that lap as it turned out the entire lap was a 1.3 penalty slowing down going around it coming back out again so i would say that the silverstone long lap loop isn't really much of a penalty um but he came out in fifth place and immediately seemed to be struggling. Um, now, there's several reasons for that. I mean, he went for slightly milder compound tyres, front and rear, than everybody else. I think it was only Miller that was running something similar in the front, but uh, Miller was running a hard in the back. And I think that, that Quattararo hadn't got what he needed, perhaps. But it, it looked like as soon as he came out of that long lap loop, he wasn't able to get where he needed to be. And the problem is when you've got a lot of other riders around you, and the reason I mentioned the track temperature, once that... The, the, the temperature goes up in the front tyre and you get that ballooning effect. You get less contact patch. It doesn't squidge where you need it to squidge when you turn it into a, into a corner when you're on the brakes, trail braking into a turn. Once you get that, it's very hard to bring it back to where it, it needs to be for you to be able to start pushing forwards again. Um, 
I mean, Bainaya did everything. I mean, he has put himself back in the game with that 25-pointer. There's no doubt about it. And with Quattararo and Aleish, Aleish obviously smashed both his feet on the, in a massive bit off on, in qualifying. I mean, like, honestly, I mean, it was touch and go whether he was going to be riding. The man that's the most relieved out of this weekend will be Aleish Spargro because what did Quattararo only gain a point on him, I think, over the over the weekend in the end. So all that effort and no, uh, no cigar. But it's Bagnaia who who really, really made it work. And Jack Miller, the two factory Ducatis looking very good. Zarco did what Zarco does, pole position and slung it away in the race. You know, he was half a yard offline, still trying to squeeze the brake down into the corner and just wash the front out. Real shame for, for Zarco. Um, but you could kind of see it coming. I thought Jorge Martin was going to be a, a, a podium finisher. He was coming really strong as well, you know. The teammate Zarco. It, it was looking to me like it was a great MotoGP race. I really, really enjoyed the MotoGP race. Bainaya did what he should do and and was quality, and and finished off in the press conference with a quality ending to it as well. We do not condone drinking and driving, by the way, here as a Crash.net um, group of people. But I have to say, humour is allowed. And when he said he's going to go for a drink but get a taxi home, I thought it was very funny. <laughs> Exceptional work from uh, Pecco Banyai, but he had to fight for it though, Pete, right at the very end from maybe the Aprilia we weren't quite expecting to be challenging for the win in Maverick Vinales. Is this Maverick back on top form? It's certainly looking like it, isn't it? Again, it's, you know, it's another race where he's at the front. He's, he's looking more and more confident almost every time he gets on that bike, isn't he? And, uh, you know, you start to wonder, you, you see the, the difference between Quattararo and the other Yamahas is what we saw with Maverick, sort of Maverick skipping between those two levels almost, where some races when he was on the Yamaha, he could match Quattararo, uh, he could beat him. We saw he won Qatar last year. But then other races, he would dip down again. And, and it's almost like this year we've got Dovi, we've got Morbidelli, they're unable to sort of break through occasionally. But it, maybe over these years, Maverick's been sort of ping-ponging up and down between these two levels of performance on the Yamaha, whereas Quattararo, he just stays up there, doesn't he? But again, as Keith says, Bagnaia is back, isn't he, in the championship? I mean, he was 91 points behind. I, I mean, I, I'll, I'll be honest. I thought it was over for him heading into Assen. 91 points, not just on anyone, but on the reigning champion, on Quattararo, the guy who made no mistakes. And he's made, what is it, is it so like 42 points up in two races. I mean, you know, as Aleish said, this can work either way for all three of these guys. Because if Aleish can win in the future when he's back to fitness with the Ducatis between himself and Quattro, that's great for him. But if there's a load of Ducatis at the front again, Bagnaia's now won, what, four races, isn't it? More than any other rider. He's won two in a row. He's put that that win DNF, win DNF, you know, run behind him. I think, you know, it, it's we could have a three-way fight in our hands. Maverick, Maverick Vinales should have won on Sunday. No doubt about it. He was the fastest man at the end of that race. He closed Bagnaia right down towards the end. The last couple of laps, he, he was quite a long way off a couple of laps from the end, and he was right on him. And he had two, just two little bobbles in the middle of that last lap, which just gave Bagnaia the opportunity to get over the line. But Maverick Vinales was, was potentially a race winner at the weekend. Now when we go to the Red Bull ring, and you're right what you said a minute ago, Pete, about Ducati's you know, filling the ranks, if you like, with Cotteraro, but I think we've got two Aprilias that are going to also take points off Quattararo when we get to the Red Bull Ring because Red Bull Ring is about punch off the corner. Those Aprilias have got punch off the corner and that is going to be something that's going to be hard to contend with for the Yamaha by the time they get to each, at the end of each of those straights. You've got, you know, 
a lot of corners where Aprilia and Ducati are going to have an advantage over the the Yamaha, and that's going to make a big difference. This championship is nowhere near over yet, and with Maverick Vinales possibly being another man who can be a spoiler for the likes of Quattararo, uh, and likely to be all over and around the likes of Van Nia, we're, we're, we've got a real championship that's alive and kicking here now. There were a couple of um, uh, listener questions uh, that came in for uh, about the championship now with, with a focus on Fabio. A lot of people now starting to think, well, is this Fabio's 2022 title out the window now with that performance? Is he done? No. Seems a bit premature for me. Yeah, me too. No, there's there's no way of that. I mean, Quattararo, what he does is he maximises his opportunity. This weekend, he maximises his opportunity. He could have just chucked it away trying too hard. You know, the, the other thing with television, you know, when you're there, you can see those nuances that you can't really see in television. Television tends to flatten everything out. Two-dimensional picture in front of you, no matter how good it is in ultra-high definition, it still ain't as good as being st- stood at trackside and listening to the way the bike's performing and, and seeing it, you know, in 3D firsthand. Um, it is, Quattararo made the most of he could at the weekend. You know, okay, it wasn't anywhere near. In fact, to, to hear him talk about, you know, basically... Coming into the weekend, this is the it's one of his favourite tracks. Loved it, you know. Great, he did loads of great PR. He was up on the stage with Jake Dixon. They were having a proper giggle, giggle, good laugh all the way. Great atmosphere. Sunday, it was the worst racetrack he'd ever been on. <laughs> he'd rather go home and forget about this one. Um, it just didn't work out for him. So, but again, he took the maximum he could get out of it, and that I think is the secret of winning the championship. The, the penalty really hurt Quattararo. I asked him after the race, without that penalty, you know, could you have stayed at the front? And he said, well, yeah, I think I could. I mean, remember, uh, Zarco threw it away sort of almost at the same time as Quattararo made that penalty. Without having that penalty, Quattararo would have inherited the lead. He'd have been up front, fresh air on the tyres. We know he's a fighter. Yes, he, he may well have been beaten in terms of the victory, but he'd have fought on for a podium pretty hard. You can imagine that. Um, as Keith says, he did feel he also made a mistake. Well, he manned the team with the rear tyre. They went with the rear, the medium rear tyre. They should have tried the hard. But still, you know, he would have been, I'm pretty confident, he'd been up there on the podium. After you guys predicted that Quattro wouldn't win last week, and I, of course, did, I, I, some people might have seen, I did a bit of a feature on Crash where I looked back at, uh, you know, how he's where he's been on the opening laps of the races, what he might lose. And it p- quickly became apparent that, uh, you know, if he's towards the lower end of the top six in races this year, in the early laps, he hasn't finished on the podium. And so I have to say, you guys called that one right. And that's what we saw. He dropped down to fifth. He had the problems with the overheating, this time on the rear tyre. Normally the front tyre overheats in those kind of group bike situations. He said the front was fine, but it was the rear that overheated. And then it's those usual top speed overtaking problems with the Yamaha. So all of those things combined worked against him. But again, it was the overhang for Masson. If Without that penalty, you know, he could have come away with a podium. I think. Can I just say who the biggest point scorer was from our predictions uh, over the weekend? It was me. I got the most. Banyaya and Miller on the podium. Two points. Keith stole one with Banyaya. Pete, nada. Absolutely nothing. But I'll tell you who you did put on the podium. Alex Rins in the Suzuki, which... Looking back now, not a completely stupid prediction because he was in the lead <laughs> at one point. It was a spectacular start from Rins. Yeah. Well, when he qualified quite badly, I, I, I was thinking there was a tyre mix-up, wasn't there? He, they put the hard front tyre on. There was a bit of a mix-up with the code, so he, he, he suffered with his qualifying. I was thinking, yeah, you know, he's not going to be on the podium. Then he had the great, you know, carve through the field. 
Um, they're still not really sure why he lost performance with the rear tyre. I mean, I mean it, we saw a lot of riders struggle for grip, but they really didn't expect it on the Suzuki. We've known that bike. He was on the hard rear tyre. You know, he, he couldn't have gone any harder. Um, and, and as you saw, he just plummeted from the from the uh, from the victory fight, basically, didn't he? And so, yeah, they're, they're disappointed. They're going to say they're going to analyze it with Michelin, but uh, yeah, it wasn't the race he was looking at. Former Silverstone winner, a bit like Maverick, I expected him. Yeah, when I saw that, I thought, well, I've got maybe Quattararo on the podium, I've got Rins on the podium, Alesh is obviously up against it, but uh, no, I come away empty-handed once again. And Mia on the floor again. Well, it's not been a. a trouble-free uh, ride uh, the last few months, has it, for uh, for Suzuki in general. But I'm sure the confidence taken from Rins running up the front would have been uh, a very much a, a boost needed by everybody uh, watching on in the garage and, uh, and of course, the entire operation. Um, but uh, ultimately, the spoils went to uh, Peko Bagnaia, uh, but also Jack Miller up there as well. So uh, fighting for the lead and uh, enjoying his time. Now, maybe, Keith, has he, has he got a bit of a, you know, the the... Thing of, off his back now that he's got his future confirmed and he is going to be leaving Ducati do you think now we could, we'll see some some decent consistent top performances from Miller Jack's a solid guy at the end of the day he's solid he's one of those guys I mean, he might have just chosen the wrong front tyre at the weekend it was just a little a tad softer than the one that probably would have worked better for him if he'd wanted to push any harder it might have been a bit of a problem but you know he'll go away from Silverstone with a, with a you know looking forward to the Red Bull ring and maybe the Ducati performing top class there. Uh, Jack Miller's a great guy. I mean, he's still, even after all this time, I mean, I remember meeting him for the first time walking the track and, you know, he's been, he's just one of those guys that he doesn't forget you. He always says hello. He always, you know, he spend the time if, if, if you're walking through the paddock and he's got the time. On a bike, he gives what he should, which is 100% on everything. You know, he's a great team player. He's going to be an asset wherever he goes. I like Jack Miller. And it was a very happy, uh, Park for May afterwards uh, for Miller. Um, let's uh, we'll come back to some MotoGP action. Let's move on to Moto Two, of course, because uh, well, if you were at the track, Jake Dixon mania in full force. But uh, a late move on the last lap, it was Augusto Fernandez uh, the win in the end to him ahead of longtime leader Alonso Lopez. With Dixon though on the podium, a hard-earned podium for Jake. First uh, of two wildcard appearances as well for uh, Rory Skinner further down the uh, field. But what did you make of the Moto Two action, Keith? Well, I'm glad you said that because um, you were all frozen right up until that point where you mentioned Rory Skinner. So <laughs> <laughs> I was Rory Skinner. Rory Skinner. Rory Skinner, Skinner did a great job. I mean, if you Go back to the Jake Dixon situation where he had a two wild card effort in uh, MotoGP, Moto uh, Two, starting at Silverstone. I think Skinner did a great job. He's a, again, he's a he's a great kid. Um, his parents were around at the weekend as well, and that sort of they're they're a very good, solid team. And I think that everyone will be quite proud of what Skinner achieved in what is a really, really difficult class at a place like Silverstone. I mean, it's uh, that place is fast. You know, motor. In fact, I think the Moto2 bikes, I, I enjoy watching them through the turns more than I do the MotoGP bikes. They howl. It's a great sound. It certainly was a, a great uh, solid effort from, from Rory Skinner. But of course, further up the field, Jake Dixon on the podium. Dixon mania in full force, of course. Everybody, a lot of questions asking, you know, when's going to be the next British MotoGP rider? Maybe that's something that's another factor as to why there weren't so many uh, fans out in force as well. But Jake Dixon, that was a... F- a hard-fought podium at the end. It wasn't easy for him, Keith. 
No, you're absolutely right. And that was the, the, the one of the reasons why, yeah, you want a big crowd, you want a sporting hero, you want someone at the front. Again, if I allude to Formula One, you've got Lewis Hamilton, who's consistently the top dog at, at Silverstone. So you're going to have the likelihood of a British winner. And then you've got youngsters that are right underneath him that are coming up to challenge as well. So works well in Formula One. It will work just as well in MotoGP. And Dorna are not, not shy of that fact. They have put a lot of money into Jake Dixon and the team. They are funding him behind the scenes to try and promote him through, to try and get it to where it is. Davizioso retires in Misano. We're going to see him for one more time, uh, two more times. Um, and then Cal Crutchlow comes in for the rest of the year. So we'll have Cal back actually racing in Grand Prix again. That's going to give us a little fillip for the rest of the year. I don't fancy the deep end he's about to dive in. But anyway, that's uh, that Cal, will, Cal will rise to the, um, to the top, I'm sure. Uh, British top dogs we do need. And we've got them coming through. Jake Dixon. Yeah, he will have been happy being on the podium. He won't have been happy with being third, really. Um, at the end of the day, podium finish is not what he wanted. He was on He was on for a win. As for Sam Lowe's, Sam Lowe's two laps into FP1. Oh, we were all there. You know how cold it was on, you know, despite the fact the sun was up and it was looking good, the track temperature for FP1, for Moto2, was still cold. It had not yet reached the temperature and he got caught out by it two laps in. And that was his weekend blown. You know, People will have known that. Maybe that's why people didn't turn up on, on... There would have been a proportion of people that didn't turn up on Sunday because Sam Lowe's wasn't in the race because he was another potential winner of that race. Um, but Dix, Dixon did a good job for us. And, of course, in Moto3, um, you know, a bit of a disaster for the Vision Track team as well, Michael Lavity's team there, um, in that they're two guys. I mean, Josh Whiteley made a step and was looking really, really good. Um, Scott Ogden, you know, problems getting out on time when he should have done in his qualifying sessions, mired him terribly. But a 12th place finish, I've got to say, was a was a superb ride in Moto3 from him. Uh, a great result for Alonso. The rookie, second place on the chassis, um, up against all those Calex bikes. It was indeed. Uh, Moto3, let's move uh, on. Well, let's not move on. Let's get into that a little bit more, uh, Keith, because it was a victory for Foggia. But the title leaders... Off the road in what was a bit of a crash-strewn uh, final few laps of, of Moto3 at the British Grand Prix. It just couldn't make the whole race distance, could it, with the way things were going on? It was probably one of the best Moto3 races I've seen for a while, and they're always great. Um, so I've got to say that Moto3 didn't disappoint. I'm nowhere near surprised that they didn't all make it to the end. Championship is still pretty good. The the main protagonist, as you say, you know, lost a load of points and they'll be angry with that, but it makes it good from a spectator point of view. No one was hurt and we all got on and um, ended up with a result for, as I say, Scott Ogden on the Vision Track bike. It was good to see him recover from a very lowly position for most of the race. He was down in 21st place and the like. Yeah, he would have inherited a couple of places, of course, but he, he kept on fighting right to the very end, which is important. British Grand Prix is one of those places where you've just got so much you've got to cover. Family and friends turn up. People that you haven't even seen in I don't know how long turn up and want tickets and passes. PR, you've got to do your public relations all <laughs> over the place, real hard work. You've got the charity stuff that starts on the Thursday up on stage and the commitment you have to make to that. Very, very difficult stuff. It interferes with your head. When you clear off to do a, a Grand Prix you know, miles away from home, you can focus on just the job you've got to do, which is your you know, free practice, qualifying, and then racing. It's a much easier, in inverted commas, uh, situation for a rider to be, be overseas rather than doing your home Grand Prix. There's so much more to it. And that's without getting into your own expectation 
of where you want to finish, where you think you should finish, where you've got it worked out in your head and your team, of course, because most of their sponsors are going to be coming from locally. So therefore, most of the sponsors' guests are going to be coming locally and their expectations are high as well. So the, the pressure when you're at a home Grand Prix, that is the same for the Spanish in Spain, the Italians in Italy and so on and so forth. It's the same for all riders. Uh, but it just seems like the British Grand Prix either brings out the best in a British rider or the worst. I was just sitting there watching that Moto2 race with Dixon thinking I wouldn't be able to cope with that pressure of of being the, the British hope in, in, in Moto2, especially right at the end of the day as well. It was just uh, spectacular for him. But Moto3 as well, uh, seeing some decent action in there too. And across the weekend, if you weren't there, you did miss some awesome action. Pete, before we wrap things up, any final words? <laughs> um, as you say harry I th- the racing was great in all three classes i mean you know phil thrilled people to the end i think so yeah let's hope that more people turn up for next year's race indeed well look gents we'll call it there uh we're back up and running moto gp after a long summer break uh, and a brilliant british grand prix to kick start the second part of the season really so we're gonna uh, get straight back into full swing of things we have got a weekend off but then we're straight back into austria uh, at the red bull ring for the next round we'll be here next week to preview it all so uh, get your questions in we've had some come in for this week's show but we'll add them to the pile and get them answered for next week too so keep them coming and again reiterate what we said uh, let us know, uh, but be reasonable, sensible. Give us your feedback if you were at the British Grand Prix. Things you would like to see improved, maybe a reason why you didn't come. Uh, we'd like to hear it as well in the comments or let us know uh, wherever you uh, listen or watch us on the podcast. But in the meantime, make sure you do stay, uh, stay tuned in uh, across Crash.net for all the very latest news and analysis across the week. And we shall be back with you next week. Get your questions in, leave them in the comments section below. Tweet, Facebook or Instagram us. Just search Crash MotoGP and please do leave us a review you wherever you get your podcasts as well and we shall see you same time next week bye-bye a lot can happen in three years like a chat bot may be your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states learn more at uh1.com